Good morning. Welcome to our morning worship service. Most of us know each other. I'm Reverend Ken Smith, Director of the Biblical Counseling Center in Jenison. I'll tell you more what's going on with me this evening and give you a quick update and um, share with you some of the good things the Lord's doing. This morning I have one announcement to bring to your attention. It's a sad one. Um, Laura Sneller's father has gone to be with the Lord, Larry uh, Swainston. Um, and we're happy that his sojourn here has ended and he's with his Lord and he's rejoicing even more than we are today. And we're glad we have that comfort. Uh, the uh, visitation will be Wednesday from 6 to 8 at Stroh Funeral Home. And on Thursday, there will be visitation from 10 to 10.45. And then 11 o'clock will be the funeral. That will be at Gaines Church, 92nd and Kalamazoo. And if you can't remember all that, but you want that information, just ask Laura. She'll be happy to share that info with you. That's all that I wanted to bring to you by way of announcements. So let's stand together for our call to worship. Excuse me. I skipped silent prayer. We've got to prepare ourselves first. Be seated. It's been over a year and a half since I've been here. You've got to retrain me. Let's join together in seeking God's ministry in our hearts this morning. stand together again. From Psalm 98. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand, his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. And that's why we worship this morning. Uh, Congregation of Lord Jesus Christ, where does your help come from? Our help comes from the Lord, Maker of heaven and earth. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's uh, continue to stand and sing together um, hymn number 195, All People That on Earth Do Dwell.
Our reading of God's law comes from Exodus 20. I'll begin reading at verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you, or your son, or your daughter, or your male servant, or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the seas, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. The reading of the Ten Commandments. And then from the New Testament, Matthew chapter 22. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second's like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. We end the reading of God's word. God's word points out to us that we are sinners. I often, I'm working with couples and trying to help them understand how relationships work. I use God as an example. I said God was bringing his people out of Egypt to be a separate nation. And his relationship with them was going to become much closer. And he comes to them and says, here's ten rules to guide our relationship. You want this to work well? Do these things. We have rules to guide our relationships. Some of you, even children, know. Take your shoes off as soon as you get in the house. You go tromping through the house with your shoes on, you're going to get in trouble. Other families wear their shoes in the house. There are places where dirty things go and places where clean things go. We know the rules of our home, and if we keep them, things go well for us. God says, here are the rules for my home. Keep them and things will go well for us. It's good for us to strive to do that. Let's sing together a song of confession, number 289, All That I Am, I Owe to Thee.
Our assurance of pardon comes from Lamentations chapter 3, beginning at verse 19. Remember my afflictions, my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. It's a comforting passage because Jeremiah, who wrote the book of Lamentations, says, I'm fully aware of all my shortcomings, and it weighs heavily upon me sometimes. But despite that, I remember that God's grace is new to me every morning. And the Lord is my portion, and I find comfort for my soul. As I go through life, sometimes my sins haunt me and weigh me down heavily. At other times, that burden's not nearly as heavy. Of course, I enjoy those times a little bit more. But the heavy times are very good for my soul, if they're not pleasant to endure. And the scriptures comfort us, whatever stage of life, position of life we might be in. The grace of God in Jesus Christ is a comfort to us at all times. Let's join together in our morning prayer. Father, we come to praise you because your grace is sufficient and you've done marvelous things in our life. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were your enemies and you loved us. You poured out your spirit upon us and awakened our heart. We saw our sinfulness. We saw our need. We agreed with you that you were our creator and you have the right to rule over us. And we have rebelled against you. And if you choose to judge us, if you choose to punish us, you're just. And there's nothing we could say. No argument we could bring against you. But you've opened our hearts further, Father, to see the grace of Jesus Christ. And you've allowed us to flee to him and confess our sins and ask for mercy. And we have found it. And we're grateful for that. Continue the good work you have begun. Remember, you promised to be a God to us and to our children. And we thank you, Father, for the covenant members of this body. And we pray that as they grow and learn more about Christ, the day will come when they'll make public profession of uh, their faith in Christ. And we'll have that certain hope uh, for them. And they'll have the, the joys that we who are older share. Continue your faithfulness to us. We pray that you would be a comfort to our nation. Um, We are in much turmoil. Um, Wickedness is on the rise. People are far from you. The evil one is having a field day, convincing people that evil is good and good is evil. And things are turned upside down. But we know that your son, Jesus Christ, sits on the throne. And his will is being done, even though we don't understand it. We thank you, Father, this morning for all those who have sacrificed their lives in defending our country. And we remember them this Memorial Day weekend, the sacrifices they have made, the privileges and freedoms we have because they've made those sacrifices, that we can be here worshiping you openly without any fear because those tyrannical forces that wanted to overcome us and take these freedoms away would not be allowed to do that. And we thank you that we get to live in such peace and prosperity, but as it was a, at a very high sacrifice And we're grateful for those who have made that sacrifice. Comfort, Father, the parents of those who have lost children in the armed forces. We're grateful for their sacrifice as well, which is one that they continue to bear even to this day and will not be taken away until Christ himself comes and wipes away every tear. We're grateful, though, that we know that day will happen 
and that your grace is sufficient for us, though our hearts are very heavy at times. We pray that you would make us thankful as a nation because you've done so many good things for us and that you would bring about a time of revival and restoration. We don't pray, Father, for this political leader or that political leader to come into power because we know that's not going to change the hearts of our fellow countrymen. If you would pour out your spirit and bring a time of revival, if the gospel would be preached with great boldness, then people's hearts could be changed. And we pray that you would bring that about. And we ask that you would help us as a church to be diligent uh, to present the gospel, friendly and opening to those who don't know you, that they might come and visit and we could help them know the way of life as you've made it known to us. Give us grace and wisdom as we seek to confront our world with the saving grace of Jesus Christ. We pray for our pastor as he's away. We thank you for the time of refreshment he has and pray you keep him safe, bring him back refreshed and ready to continue in his service. We pray too, Father, for other families who are visiting elsewhere. We're grateful that they have uh, the opportunity to get away from their normal responsibilities. Keep them safe, bring them back to us refreshed as well. Uh, Bless us as we worship you this morning, as we hear the word being read and preached. Make it powerful in our lives. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're standing to sing hymn number 120, Come All Ye People, Bless Our God. Turn in the scriptures to John chapter 8. I'll begin reading at verse 31. 
John 8, verse 31, the word of God. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, We are offspring of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say we will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And there we end our reading. My text is not the text we read so much. It's my jumping off point. It's a theological sermon. We're examining what Jesus meant when he says, the sun sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Free of what? Well, not a debt, I can tell you that. I still have bills to pay. Uh, Not free from all the pains of life, because they come upon all of us as well. We are free, some of the most obvious things, we're free from condemnation. We are free from the wrath of God. We have passed out from under the wrath of God into his love. And we'll stay there forever. We'll live and reign with Christ. We're joint heirs with Christ. Oh, our freedoms are many. But this morning and this evening, we're going to look at two freedoms we have. The first, and as I was meditating on this and thinking about uh, this theme and how I find it running through scripture, I thought the biggest thing that we're able to be free from, I'm not saying we are all the way, but we are able to be, and I hope to encourage you that this morning, is to be free of pride. Or, as I entitled the sermon, free to be humble. We don't understand humility very well. We look at it as something bad. Oh, I've got to eat my humble pie. Ugh, I hate that. And scripture always pictures humility as something good. So why do we flip it around and say, no, it's something that is to be avoided if you can. In John 10.10, Jesus said, the thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I came so that they may have life and have it abundantly. And as part of this abundant life, we can enjoy the fruits of humility, the blessings that it brings, and the joy it brings. We are free from sin, free to be righteous, something that was not available until we were born again and became new creatures in Christ. No matter how hard we tried, we could not be righteous. Oh, I could be outwardly righteous. The Pharisees achieved that. And Jesus thought highly of it. He said, but unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Because while the Pharisees were outwardly righteous, they lacked one thing. The righteousness of Christ. Attributed to them. And that's what we have as Christians. Part of our birthright is the righteousness of Christ is counted as our own. We're clothed in his righteousness. So as God looks upon us, he's pleased to see us. Because we are his redeemed people. And all the merits of Christ shine forth from us because God has made it so. Often righteousness is looked upon as a burden instead of a blessing. Young people, you fall into it. I know I did. I didn't even think about it. Hey, you want to go and do this with me? 
Oh, I can't. I'm not allowed. You know, instead of, well, no, that's not the person I want to be. That's not how I'm choosing to live, to live my life. I was offered joining in sinful fun for a season. And when I said, well, I'd love to, but I can't. I'm not allowed to do that. I revealed something about my heart. I'd like to do what God tells me not to do. I'm not thinking, you know, I don't have to be that kind of person. I can rejoice and say, you know, to have a renewed mind that sees things the same way God sees things is really a blessing. And the contrast there is becoming ever greater in our society. And we look around and people are so blinded and foolish in all of the the woke things that are happening around us. And they think what they're doing is good and if we won't join in with them that we are bad... And they can't see how utterly foolish it is. We are free to be humble. Pride, then as we study in the scriptures, we see it's the first sin. Isaiah 14 talks to us about Satan. And it says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation, on the furthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. He exalted himself. He was perhaps the, the pinnacle of the creatures God has created. And rather than living humbly before God, thankful for the position God had given him, he thought he could be equal with God. Ezekiel 28 says, You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. And what is that iniquity? It was pride. The evil one exalting himself above his creator. And that first sin has come down to us. Because that's exactly what Satan tempted our first parents, Adam and Eve, with. If you eat this, you will have knowledge and you will be like God. And they went with the temptation. I want to be like God. When God had said, do not eat Of this tree. Proverbs says much to say about pride. In verse uh, 16, chapter 16, verse 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride does not bless us, it takes us to places of destruction. A haughty spirit will lead to a fall. Proverbs 11, 2, when pride comes, then comes shame. But with the humble, is wisdom. Proverbs 18, 12. Before destruction, the heart of a man is haughty. And before honor is humility. Humility 
is a grace of God that we should seek and be thankful for. Not think that it's something to be avoided if we possibly can. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. He's encouraging the uh, Corinthian believers, stop and think about who you are and rethink this idea that you want to boast about how great you are. He says, For consider your calling, brothers and sisters, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things that are strong. And the insignificant things of the world and the despised, God has chosen the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no human may boast before God. But it's due to him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God in righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. We boast about who we are in the Lord. We boast about what God has done for us, not about ourselves. I have a quote I want to share with you. I like to tell people who I'm quoting, but I can't. It was on BibleStudyTools.com. And uh, whoever the author of this is, uh, it's not attributed. But that's where I found it. So I don't want to plagiarize. It's written there, The life God bestows is imparted not once for all, but each moment continually by the unceasing operation of his mighty power. What's the point he's making? We live and move and have our being in God. From moment to moment, he sustains us, or we would not be here. That's a humbling thought. Humility, the place of entire dependence on God, is from the very nature of things, the first duty and the highest virtue of the creature, and the root of every virtue. And so pride, or the loss of humility is the root of every sin and evil. It was when the now fallen angels began to look upon themselves with self-complacency that they were led to disobedience and were cast down from the light of heaven to outer darkness. Even so it was when the serpent breathed the poison of his pride, the desire to be as God, into the hearts of our first parents, that they too fell from their high estate into all the wretchedness in which man now sunk. In heaven and earth, pride, self-exaltation, is the gate and birth and curse of hell. Pride is a terrible thing, and it will always lead us in bad directions. But humility is beautiful. And I want you to focus on this and begin to turn your heart in this direction so that you don't look at humble people as though they're somehow second class. What does the world do? It likes to exalt people who aren't humble. They're the ones we should emulate. They're the ones we should follow. It's a very bad example. In Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 3, it says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility consider one another's more important than yourself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourself, which is also in Christ Jesus. We're urged, have this attitude of humility. Think it through. He was in heaven and everything was fine. He gave up the glory of heaven to come and save people who were his enemies. He considered our need 
more than he considered himself. The text goes on to say, who, as he already existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant and being born in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Christ is exalted after he humbled himself. Without the humility of Christ, we would not be here today. We would not be saved. We would be under the wrath of God. Humility is a beautiful thing. We don't venerate Mary, but we sure do admire her. A godly saint who endured much hard times. We see the humility of Mary, and we thank highly ever for it. The angel said to her in Luke 1, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and give birth to a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will have no end. But Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. For this reason also the Holy Child will be called the Son of God. Behold, even your relative Elizabeth herself has conceived a son in her old age, and she was called infertile, is now in her sixth month. Now, when we read through it and we're familiar with it, you know, we celebrate Christmas every year. If you have Christmas pageants, you know, we, we uh, are familiar with the, the passage. But stop and think what it meant. Mary, even though you've never been with a man, you're going to have a child. Now, what does she think? Well, what's everybody going to think? That's never happened before. Everybody's going to think I've been doing things I shouldn't be doing. And in fact, that's exactly what Joseph thought. And he was going to put her away quietly until an angel came and said, No. That which is in Mary's womb is holy. It's of the Holy Spirit. Marry her. She's a righteous woman. Knowing, though, what people would think, knowing the difficulties that lie ahead, not knowing for sure how Joseph would react to this, she humbled herself and said, Lord, whatever you want your hand made to do, Make it so. She had no assurances of how it was going to work out. What was going to happen? What would happen to her reputation? What her future would look like? She just said, God has sent his angel to me to tell me this is the path for me to go. And I'm going that way. We see humility in her. And we honor her for it. Every good thing God wants us to do in life starts with humility. Therefore, humility is to be fought more than any other grace. That's why we don't like it. The world, the flesh, and the devil go all out to stop humility whenever they possibly can. Because it's the first grace. And so the world will say, you should be generous. Generosity is a good thing. Be very, very generous. And be very proud of it, too. Maybe brag about it some. (laughs) and yeah what is it if I'm very generous but I'm not doing it for the glory of God I'm doing it for my reputation 
There's, there's nothing there. There's no humility. It's not the kind of generosity that God wants us to practice. You should help other people. You should go out of your way to help other people. But you should do it so you can find your own glory in it. So you can rest in your good works. Last thing you want to do is go out of your way to help other people that only God would be glorified. That's the way the world comes and influences us. How about having good theology? Now, we would all agree with that. We should have good theology. Because then we can look down our noses at the Baptists. <laughs> we're so much better than they are. Or the Pentecostals. Oh, yeah, we're a lot better than they are. <laughs> or that branch of the Reformed Church. Well, yeah, they're Reformed. Yeah, sure enough. But not as Reformed as we are. And we can have our good theology and we can use it as a means of justifying, separating from our brothers and sisters in Christ who, from my point of view, their theology is not as mature as our theology is. Their faith in God is as real. Their redemption is is as real. God is their father as much as he's my father. I cannot use my, my head Superior theology. <clears throat> of course, they would say the same thing, wouldn't they? Uh, from their point of view. But look how easy that is to do. I remember doing that in college and seminary, having theological debates and, and um, looking down at people who held this position or that position. And <clears throat> when the Bible says knowledge puffs up, it certainly does. And you see, having good theology is a really good thing to have. Letting it puff us up is not a good thing. Or you could live a good Christian life so you can feel worthy of your standing before God. What? You're, you're going to feel comfortable with your standing before God because you don't drink or smoke or dance or some of the other cardinal sins that uh, Christians aren't supposed to do. Quotation marks. And even if we get away from some of that silliness and just say, you know, I'm, I'm trying to do what God wants me to do. Well, we should do that. But if we do it so that we'll feel comfortable about our standing before God instead of our, our comfort being wholly based in Christ and what he has done for us, then we're not doing it the right way. Remember Jesus' warnings against pride. In Matthew 6, he says, Take care not to practice your righteousness in the sight of men. To be noticed by them, otherwise you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. Wow, if we practice our righteousness to be seen. If I, if I want you to think highly of me, so I practice my righteousness in front of you, he says, you have your reward. That, that's it. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and all the streets. So they'll be praised by people. Can you believe that people actually used to do that? Hire somebody to walk before them, blowing a trumpet. So as they went into the temple, and there was a place there where you could place your offerings, everybody would notice, I have this big bag of money, and look how righteous I am, I'm giving it. Christ actually had to point out that that wasn't the way you're supposed to do it.
Truly I say to you, they have a reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your charitable giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray... Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so they be seen by people. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But as for you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use thoughtless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Humility is our glory as well as Christ's glory. In James chapter 4, it says, Or do you think the scriptures say to no purpose, he jealously desires the spirit whom he has made to dwell in us. Now let's pause and consider that phrase because I don't think the meaning jumps out at you. He jealously desires the spirit whom he has made to dwell in us. God is jealous. He is eager to see the fruits of the spirit being lived out in us. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Come close to God, and he will come close to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable, mourn. Weep, let your laughter be turned into mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. Sometimes we need to humble ourselves in the presence of the Lord. Young people, if you keep making the same mistakes and keep getting in trouble for the same thing, you're not humbling yourself before the Lord the way you ought. You need to spend some time in prayer and say, Lord... My heart's not right. I keep doing this thing and I get in trouble for it. And I agree with mom and dad that I'm wrong to do it. But I keep on doing it. And I say I'm sorry. But then I go and do it again. And we humble ourselves and say, Lord, work in my heart. Help me look upon this thing and see it the same way you do. Help me look upon this and see it as something so awful I'd never want to do it. We all have times we have to do that. And it's not just with our young people. Sometimes we make the same mistake over and over in our marriages. And we will not stop and seek God's grace. We blame shift in different ways. We make excuses. But we keep damaging the relationship by going down a road. And and when we're confronted with it, we say, yes, you're right. I should not have done that. And then we go and do it again. When the scriptures say, submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee from you. Come close to God and he will come close to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourself in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. We embrace humility. That doesn't always feel good at the moment. Being honest before God, I am not the person I ought to be. Here's an example of how I'm failing to be the person you want me to be. But when we go there, we find blessing. 
Humility is the first grace God gives us when we're born again. Think through this with me. When you came to saving faith in Christ, the first grace God gave you, the first thing that God did, the Holy Spirit did, is he granted you humility. What did it look like? The first thing you admitted, it said, God, you are my creator, and you have the right to rule over me. I used to think, this is my life. What gives you the right to tell me anything? And then the Holy Spirit was poured out upon me, and my heart was renewed, and I'm going, well, he has every right. He created me. He sustains me. And suddenly there's this new humility in me that says, God has the right to rule over me. The second thing I said was, I have sinned against you, and I rightly deserve your wrath. I quit making excuses. I humbled myself. I said, Lord, your word tells me that you're upset with me because of this and this and this and this. And there's probably a lot of other things I don't even know yet, but you're absolutely right. I won't quibble with you at all. All the faults you find in me, you're justified to find, and I don't have a leg to stand on. And the third fruit of that humility is we prayed and said, Lord, I want to come into my rightful place as your servant. No longer my own person, but a person purchased by the blood of Christ. Receive me. Show me mercy and grace, for I am poor and needy. And great joy flooded our hearts. We humbled ourselves before the Lord, and it was a good thing. And we continue to do that. Because we sin daily in our thoughts, words, and deeds, and we go to God. And we say, I am a, a poor, needy sinner in need of your grace and mercy. And we continue to find it, and it continues to bring us joy. But that's because we've embraced that humility. But if I'm right in saying these things, <clears throat> why is humility so hard to do? Well, Galatians 5, starting at verse 16, tells us, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you're not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the desire of the flesh is against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, in order to keep you from doing what you want to do. He says there's a battle going on between the spirit that dwells within us and the flesh, the remnant of sin that is still part of us. And because humility is the first grace, all the other graces, all the other fruits of the spirit, we're advancing them more the more we embrace humility. So what does the world, the flesh and the devil do? Anytime... I'm going to embrace humility. It goes on red alert. You don't want to do that. That's bad. You shouldn't have to do that. It confuses things. There's a difference between humility and humiliation. Humility is a good thing. Humiliation is a bad thing. It's where I find fault with you in unjust ways. You know, in grade school, I made fun of your ears because they kind of stuck out from your head. You Dumbo the elephant, stiff breeze going to come, you fly away. Oh, and all the other kids thought it was funny, and we laughed and mocked you. That was humiliation. There's nothing loving or kind about it. There was no gentleness there. There was no peacefulness there. None of the fruits of the Spirit were anything like that. Of course, as we get older, the insults become more barbed and difficult, but they happen. 
And we often confuse humiliation with humility. Husbands and wives, or maybe just pick on husbands. Husbands, how often have you had to go to your wife, because she was upset, and say, I'm sorry, you're right. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? And she embraced you and said, I love you. Of course I want to forgive you. But these things can't be happening. You're absolutely right. These things can't be happening. But there was healing in the relationship. There was joy to be coming back together instead of further apart. And what allowed that to happen? You were willing to humble yourself. And admit you were wrong. Wives, we know you do it too. We just try to outdo you. Because men are better at bad things. Uh, Well, you've experienced it. Children, you have too. Some of you have been so bold. And that your conscience had been struck. And you did something and you didn't get caught. But the Holy Spirit just convicted you and convicted you. And you finally had to come to mom or dad. Probably mom. She's usually a little softer. He's like, Mom, I'm sorry, I've got to tell you something. Well, honey, what is it? Well, it wasn't the dog that broke the lamp, it was me. And you feel much better for having confessed your sin, coming back into relationship with your parents. And while it was hard, that humility greatly blessed you, and it greatly improved relationship with your parents. So we'll conclude. The world, the flesh, and the devil will try over and over to tell you that pride is good, humility is bad, even evil. And the flesh has the power to make us feel like something good is actually bad. But humility is a gift from God. It's foreign to our nature, but greatly to be sought for. Humility is a prize that will bless you over and over and will bless those you share your life with over and over. It makes you a very powerful tool in the hand of God. Remember after Saul had sinned and God said he was taking the kingdom away? He said, I'm going to raise up a man after my own heart, which was David. Now, David wasn't sinful. The scriptures show us two major sins in Saul's life and two major sins in David's life. There were more than that, but they're the, the two major ones. With Saul, he was told to go and he was going to go to war and you wait until Samuel comes And then Samuel offered the sacrifice, and then you go out to battle. But Samuel delayed, and delayed, and delayed. And so finally Saul said, well, then then I'll offer the sacrifice, which was not lawful. And he offers the sacrifice, and just about the time he's done, Samuel shows up. What have you done? Well, you're late, and and some of the men were leaving, and I, 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 I couldn't just stand around and do nothing. He made excuse for his sin. Now, David sinned gravely with Bathsheba, committing murder. And Nathan the prophet comes to him and tells him the story about the man with the little lamb. And David said, that man deserves to die. And Nathan said, you are the man. And David said, I am the man. I have sinned and done it when what is wrong in the eyes of God. What's the difference between the two? 
Saul always made excuses for his sin. David took responsibility for them. He humbled himself before God. And it's that humility that God says makes him a man after God's own heart. Humility exalts us. When we are humble, we recognize our rightful place. We are a creature, not the creator. We owe our very being to our creator. We're not independent from him, but dependent on him. Humility brings us peace with God and ourselves. Humility brings us the dignity of our place in creation. Humility allows us to see that we are indeed exalted creatures created by God himself for wonderful purposes. We're even going to judge the angels. I don't even know what that means. But when we rebel against God, when we are prideful, we lose all the glory we were created to enjoy. And so I'll remind you, as James wrote to us, humble yourselves before the presence of God, and he will exalt you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the scriptures and all that they teach us. Thank you for the freedoms that we have, because Christ is our Savior. Help us to strive to be free from sin, particularly the, the sin of pride, and to embrace humility as something good and godly, for it is. Bring glory to yourself as you use these scriptures and these words for our good and your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we're standing to sing, sing to the Lord, sing his praises, number 187.
Let's pray. Father, we come in our worship to give. We're thankful that you've provided so abundantly for us that we have monies to give to support the ongoing work of the gospel of Jesus Christ here in our midst and in various ways around the world. Receive the gifts. Help us be thankful for the opportunity we have to worship you. Bring glory to yourself. Grant wisdom to those charged and entrusted with these funds. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our offering hymn is number 408, Great is Thy Faithfulness.
The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, now and always. Amen.